For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in. Like, you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? Yeah, his name, sitting right next to me. BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. It's, Get help. He's sitting right next to me. So is it Tommy or me? Sitting right next to me. Get help on your own time. Love it sitting between the two of us right now. Get help on your own time <laughs> and at your own pace. <laughs> you can schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp's licensed professional counselors are specialized in Depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, sleeping, trauma, and self-esteem. Anything you share is confidential. If you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time. No additional charge. BetterHelp has 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states. With four communication modes, text, chat, phone, and video, you can start communicating in under 24 hours. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Crooked Minis listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code Crooked Minis. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash Crooked Minis. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with the counselor you love. That's betterhelp.com slash Crooked Minis. Welcome to Reclaiming Patriotism. I'm Ken Harbaugh. On this last episode, we explore patriotism and service. I'm in the military, so I am patriotism. I will support things, um probably monetarily or by signing a petition, but I am never one to go out and protest only because I am a teacher and I am a part of AmeriCorps, so I cannot do that. <laughs> For me personally, it's serving your country any way you can. It doesn't matter if you're in the military or if you're doing like regular things such as like the post office. Um, I'm in the Air Force, so I'm service member and whatnot, and I try to do the best I can to represent a good service member and being patriotic on a day-to-day -day basis. My formative years were spent in Europe, growing up in a family on the front lines of the Cold War. I remember going to work with my father on one of those take-your-kid-to-the-office days, except my dad's office was a bunker a hundred feet underground on a U.S. airbase deep inside West Germany. That day, the base was simulating a nuclear attack by the Soviet Union. My dad's job was to get his squadron's planes airborne before the missiles struck. He had eight minutes. Next to a wall-sized projection of the battlefield was a clock steadily ticking down. As a 10-year-old, I watched the organized chaos unfold around me. I felt the tension build as the countdown approached zero. Finally, the last plane took off. A strange calm descended. I turned to my father and asked, what now? He said something I did not understand at the time. Now we wait. It took me years to realize what he meant. He was telling me, now we wait to die. The men and women in that bunker had completed their mission, but with the missiles inbound, even a hundred feet of steel, concrete, and earth would not protect them from a direct hit. I learned early on that America needs its defenders. It took many more years for me to understand that fighting for your country is something anyone can do. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. 
Today, I talk with two people whose lives have been defined by service. Pete Buttigieg was a Navy intelligence officer, but shares a much more expansive vision of service than simply wearing our nation's uniform. But first, we hear from Becky Margiotta. After a decade in the Army, during which she served as a company commander in a special operations unit, Becky became a pioneer in the movement to end homelessness in America. Patriotism finds its greatest outlet in service to our fellow citizens. Becky Margiotta personifies that with her service in and out of uniform. You speak with such pride about your your time in the military and have talked about it publicly, but there's been some backlash, especially from, I would say, the, the darker corners of, unfortunately, veteran groups. What's that been like? Yeah, well, so to put that in context, yes, after you. being in in that um, that special operations unit and being the first woman to command there, uh, I wrote an op-ed just around Second Amendment and gun control, and it included in there my bona fides that having served as commanded two special operations units, and there was just a bunch of people who, like you said, from the creepy crawly dark parts of the internet, who were saying that that I was lying, that that wasn't in fact true, and that there's no way, and there aren't women in special operations, and I was like. It's so secret. You don't know about it. There's that thing of those who talk don't know and those who know don't talk. And so you can't really defend that in some ways. I mean, I guess I could send my ORB. It's on there. But or that's your offer, officer record brief. But it's just not worth it. It's just trolls. But it is kind of disappointing that people aren't better than that. But back to your observation that if you were there, you're not talking about it. I think there's something to that, though, in the sense that if you really have to lash out at someone to prove your own bona fides, that raises a flag for me. And I see this in how expressions of patriotism are used in politics today. I mean, the bigger the Mm -hmm. American flag, the more questions I want to ask about where that person's patriotism is actually coming from. Is it just an ornament or, you know, did they actually carry that flag on their shoulder in combat? Which, by the way, is a little flag. It's not a big flag. My sense is that there's a form of patriotism that almost feels like as though it's been kind of co-opted by what I would consider the right side of the political spectrum that feels more performative. It feels almost backlashy, if I could say. I don't even know exactly how to put my finger on it. But there's a chest beating of like, this is the side that loves their country. It it feels like my whole adult life, maybe since Reagan, that there's been this thought that the right side of the U.S. political spectrum is more pro-military and funds the military more generously and more hawkish, perhaps. And I don't know that that the facts bear that out. I feel if I were to put American flag up on in front of our yard, the story that people would have about what that symbol meant to me would be different from what it actually means to me. I'm curious what you mean by that. Yeah. So if I see American flag in someone's yard, I assume they're probably Republican. I assume they're pro-military intervention. I assume they're pro-war, really, right? I think of it maybe that it's been co-opted in that way versus when I think about what I feel really resonates with me and I feel I sort of cherish about living in the United States today. I would put it more along the lines of the potential that's stated in our values that we've not quite lived up to. And that feels really different from what I feel like the sign has it's come to symbolize in some ways. 
Do you think there's a chance of reversing that and restoring those outward expressions of patriotism to expressions of, of values and not just, you know, militarism and intervention and, and things like that? I think, you know, I think there's some people working around the clock to sort of restore and bring people together. So I'm thinking about Andrew Hanauer with the One America Movement and Cheryl Gravy with the National Institute for Civil Discourse. And I've done some of my own interviews with them. And what they've told me is that all of the experts in genocide and civil war and things like that, that used to be in Rwanda and Bosnia and were doing their work there, they've all come back to the U.S. because this is where the action is. This is where the problems are. This is where things are actually getting to a point that, that they're concerned about. There, there was some study that came out a couple of months ago. They asked people on the left and right side of the political spectrum a bunch of questions about one another. And it was like they asked people, would the world be better off without the opposing side? And a very alarming number of people said yes. And then it, it kind of got at, would we be better off if they just weren't here? If Not not if they were killed, but if they were dead or gone. And, mm-hmm. and an alarming number of people on both sides said, absolutely yes. And so us coming together under truly shared values, I think, couldn't be more important than, than right now. Is the Billions Institute working in this area? Well, we're just a capacity builder. So we work with people who are trying to scale solutions to the world's biggest problems. So just more in a win the we- win beneath the kind of wings kind of way. I want to talk about the path that led you to the Billions Institute. Sure. Yeah. Well, so when I got out of the military through a series of other events, decided I want to do something I feel zero ambivalence about. I can throw myself at wholeheartedly. And one of my college professors introduced me to Roseanne Haggerty, who founded Common Ground and then subsequently Community Solutions. And she took a risk on hiring me and for some reason thought someone with a military background would be a great fit for getting street homelessness in Times Square down by two two-thirds in three years. I knew nothing about homelessness. She set me to work. And about two or three months into the job, I I said to Roseanne, I said, you know, if you put the military out here to solve street homelessness, we they'd do it. You know, it'd be they they could actually do it because you just get the job done. And what I saw a lot of what was happening in more of the social services at the time was there wasn't this commitment to mission accomplishment and getting the job done. It was just keeping the the hamster run mill going. Did you see that endeavor as an exercise in patriotism? In a way, when I started at West Point, the mission of the military academy at the time was something along the lines to build leaders of service to the nation, leaders of character who will for a lifetime of service to the nation or something like that. And in my mind, I was like, well, that doesn't necessarily mean military service. That can be all kinds of other service. And service to humanity, I think, is what mostly resonated with me. It was really more around a love of humanity. And I think, you know, if you break down what we mean by our country, it's it's some ideas and it's people. Yes. And yes. The, the, the people, my, my love is unwavering. I don't think patriotism can exist without that sentiment. I mean, to love your country, you have to love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that extends to people who who might not be your neighbor for want of a home. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on inclusion as an element of love of country? I think there's so much crosstalk going on where people aren't hearing one another. And the people who I know who are doing this the best are just doing like what you're doing right now, just asking good questions, listening, and not 
necessarily, you know, no one's asking anybody to agree with anything that they would find distasteful or immoral or egregious. It's more that we can just listen with our hearts to one another. I think that's our way forward. I honestly think it's possible that the future of our country might depend upon that. Well, it, I think, goes to the definition of what a country is. And if Mm -hmm. it is, at least in the case of the U.S., it's not defined by ethnic heritage or religion, but by a a set of common values. Mm -hmm. If we lose touch with those values, it is an existential threat to what and who we are. Yeah. We end every podcast uh, by by asking, what is the greatest act of patriotism that you've ever witnessed? Well, the one that's coming to mind for me right now is Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. I think the risk that he took on and the consequences that that had for him, but what the point of what he was trying to make about like, hey, we've got a problem here and we owe it to ourselves to face into this and the respect with which he did that and just people who are willing to put their own probably safety at risk to help bring to our awareness and our consciousness that maybe things aren't quite as good as they seem, I have unending respect and admiration for. Can you explain uh, that comment about the respect with which you did it? Because I I think a lot of people probably don't know uh, what you're talking about. And maybe it's his conversation with Nate Boyer. Maybe it's something else. But what do you mean by that? I think taking a knee during the national anthem, I don't interpret that as disrespect, right? If he was doing arm circles and stretching and talking to his friends and blowing his bubble gum, you know what I mean? Like those types of things, I think that would be disrespectful. But I think to take a knee is actually a respectful form of dissent. And I think dissent is really patriotic. And in fact, it's why we have a country at all is because other pe- our founders dissented. And, you know, it's on us to listen to that. And the backlash he's faced has been tremendous. And just the controversy over it, it's like, hey, don't miss the point here. He's trying to say that what's happening to black men in our society, that they can do absolutely nothing wrong and still get shot, is not okay. What he has to be able to bring raise our awareness to that, I think, is worthy of our respect. We'll be right back after these messages. Crooked Minis is brought to you by Upstart. As most of us have found out the hard way, getting into debt is easy and getting out is hard, especially if your FICO score isn't great. Thankfully, now there's Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score and offers smarter interest rates to help you pay off high-interest credit card debt. So until we fix a broken system that empowers companies like Equifax to control huge amounts of information and hold it over your heads even though they don't do enough to protect it, Is Elizabeth Warren here? (laughs) Upstart goes beyond the traditional FICO score when assessing your creditworthiness. They actually reward you based on your education and job history in the form of a smarter interest rate. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score. They believe in you, and they understand that. They make it fast, simple, and easy to check your rate in just a few minutes without affecting your credit score. The best part? Once the loan is approved, most people get their funds the very next business day. The next day. Over 200,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards, student loans, fund their wedding, or to make a large purchase. Free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is ranked number one in their category with over 300 businesses on Trustpilot. And hurry to upstart.com slash crookedminis to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes and it won't affect your credit. That's upstart.com slash crookedminis. Pete Buttigieg is a Harvard grad, Rhodes Scholar, and a fellow Navy vet. Like me, he recognizes that the most important thing the military taught him wasn't how to lead or how to handle pressure. It was the idea that as Americans, we are at our best when we face crises together. 
Mayor Pete, great to have you on the show. Thanks. Great to be with you. I am sure you spend 10 hours a day talking about the campaign. And you probably have a, a lot of practice talking about running for president. I would love to change it up a little bit and talk about what led you to this point, uh, what has informed your philosophy of service. I, I read recently that you attended a signing ceremony for high school students in and around South Bend who were committing to join the military. This event didn't get a whole lot of media coverage. It was in Iowa it wasn't New Hampshire. Why'd you do it? Just because I was proud of these students and uh, <clears throat> wanted to make sure they had a sense that their community supported them. So it was all of the, the different high schools in the South Bend system. And I'd seen that done before for athletic uh, signings. You know, sometimes you got an athlete gets picked up, you do that signing ceremony. We, you know, we've, I've seen that in high schools. But uh, I thought it was a great idea that somebody in the school corporation had to uh, do the same thing for people going into the military. And also to recognize all the different forms of service. We had uh, students who were getting ready to join the Guard. We had students who are uh, enlisting right away. And we had students who were signing up to go to the military academies or ROTC. Uh, and of course, my role was just to give them an encouraging speech, make sure their parents uh, knew how much we appreciated them too, and, and take pictures with them and all that. But what I walked away with was thinking in kind of a new way about how important it is that they have leaders who care about them. You know, part of what they're doing when they take that oath is they're trusting that everybody in their chain of command from, you know, a company commander all the way up to the president is going to make decisions with their interests in mind, is going to look after them, be responsible to them. And it was oddly, as much as anything I ever felt while I was in uniform, uh, I felt so strongly this sense, uh, this kind of protectiveness. Now, you yourself swore that same oath. But you did it in a very personal context, joining a military that at the time refused to even acknowledge who you were, unless it was for the purpose of kicking you out. How did you make that choice? Well, when you're gay, you get pretty good at compartmentalization. And so one of the things that uh, uh, I think I was able to do is read them as pretty separate, at least at first. Uh, I just I wanted to serve. Um, there were all kinds of reasons why... It was difficult for me to first come out to myself and, and then later come out to anybody else and then figure out how to come out publicly. I certainly didn't think that should have any bearing on uh, whether I served or how I served. Over time, it became more upsetting to consider the fact that uh, um, that, that was a real obstacle, that, that you know the, the military did not want me or the, the Congress at least <laughs> did not want me um, to be able to be one person, especially because we use the word integrity so much to describe what we expect, certainly the people in the military, um, what, we, what we think of when we mean, when we say character, we think of integrity. I want to pick up on a distinction you drew at the beginning of that answer between the military and Congress and this idea that you were serving civilian masters beholden sometimes to orders you may have disagreed with. Yeah. Speak to that, but then I want to want to get to a larger question about the failure sometimes of the left to appreciate that and to blame the soldier. Yeah, I think that's something that it's kind of waxed and waned in our country. But there have been times when we've really struggled to distinguish between the, the men and women who serve and are part of various conflicts and the policies that sent them there. Uh, and we have to remember that for very good reasons, this country decided at the outset that our uniform services were subject to politically selected civilian control. 
And when you have a problem with the policy, you're supposed to take it out on the civilian politicians, not on the service members. And I thought about this in particular because when I was deciding to to go in and get commissioned in the reserve, you know, it hadn't been that long. In fact, I was making that decision during the, the Bush administration, which I had very strong disagreements with, mm-hmm. uh, especially on matters of war and peace. I was, I was strongly opposed to the war in Iraq. And the idea that, okay, I may know who the president is now, but I don't know who it's going to be later. And I'm making a promise based on the idea, based on some leap of faith that I'm going to be sent around based on wise decisions, but also a knowledge that sometimes I won't be, that sometimes those won't be the right decisions. And even so, I think when you put yourself in a chain of command, you, you recognize that there's some integrity to that too. But short of that, whenever you're in any kind of chain of command, you are part of something bigger than yourself. And, and that includes being part of the implementation of decisions that you may or may not have made if it was you in that seat. You've also spoken a lot about one side not getting to own a value set or something like freedom. Yeah. But I don't think that is all necessarily the fault of a conservative movement that has weaponized patriotism. Mm. I get the sense that people on the left are, are sometimes loath to profess love of country because it is too easily associated with nationalism or, right. or jingoism or, or militarism. Do you see that as a problem? Yeah, I think there is a conflation of patriotism and nationalism. You know, part of it is, is asking what it what it means to care about your country, to care about your uh, citizens of your fame co- same country. Do they have some obligation over you that other citizens out in the world don't? And I think there are some philosophical reasons why the answer is yes. When you participate as a citizen in one country versus all the other countries, and especially when it's America that, at least in my own life, has uniquely made certain things possible for me. But I do think that there's something new about this idea that you know the flag belongs to, to one side. I think what we got to do on our side of the aisle is talk about what we think American greatness means. I very much believe in American greatness. I just don't think it's something you get by fishing it out of the past. It's, it's to, the again that bothers you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to the extent there's anything in the past that I admire, and there's, of course, a whole lot, it's mostly what was built by people who were focused on the future. But the other thing I believe about American greatness is it plays out in the everyday. And part of how we win the Cold War is that everyday citizens of the Soviet Union wish they were in America and not vice versa, right? Yeah. Because they just want the basics of everyday life that our system was better able to provide than theirs. It was the everyday right. American life that right. was the envy of the rest of the world. And if we lose that, if we sell out the everyday, which I think we're doing right now by disinvesting in education and housing and health, then I think we lose the very stuff of real American greatness. We'll be back in a minute. I have a question. What, what did is you it? know that most break-ins happen between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m.? You did. According to the FBI, the average loss in a burglary is over $2,000. That can be hard to recover from. Homes without home security are 300% more likely to be broken into. And what's crazy is that only one in five homes have home security. Maybe because most companies really don't make it easy. You know, it's, it's confusing. It's expensive. It's a hassle. All kinds of reasons you don't get a home security system. But you know what? Simply Safe is changing all that. This is, this is why we love it. They protect every door, every window, and every room with 24-7 professional monitoring. Simply Safe has won a ton of awards from CNET to the New York Times wire cutter. Prices are always fair and honest. Around the clock monitoring is just $15 a month. Google it. But one thing that truly makes Simply Safe stand out is their video verification technology. When other home security systems are triggered, a lot of the time police assume it's a false <laughs> alarm and the call goes to the bottom of the list. 
but not with Simply Safe. Using their video verification technology, they are able to visually confirm that a break-in is happening, allowing police to get to the scene three and a half times faster than other home security companies. Visit simplysafe.com slash crooked minis. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash crooked minis so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash crooked minis. Before we go back to the show, I want to recommend another podcast I think you should be listening to from Slate Magazine. It's called What Next? Each weekday morning, the show dives deep into one big news story and explains why it matters and what you need to look out for. The news is pretty crazy nowadays, whether it's the crisis at the border or battles over abortion. But What Next provides you with context to really understand the news. Plus, it's like a little window into the Slate newsroom. The show passes the mic to Slate writers, editors, and podcasters who provide really sharp analysis to help you answer Well, what next? If you want to cut through the noise of the news, check out What Next in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Okay. You referenced the obligations of citizenship. Hmm. What are they? Well, to, first of all, participate in a a system of self-government that really defines America, right? We're not, our nationality is not ethnic. You can be of any ethnicity and be American. You're American because you believe in, in the American way. You know, there's a little bit of looseness on what that means, but it seems to be a combination of political and economic arrangements, but especially political, right? It's why when you take the oath, it's to the Constitution. You're not taking an oath to capitalism uh, or any more than you're taking an oath to the president. You're taking an oath to the Constitution, which is a system of government. That's what makes America, America. Would you support expanding opportunities for young people in particular to serve, if not in the military, in other ways, whether that's... Absolutely. I think that uh, for several reasons. First, I think it's a great thing to do in a young person's life. Secondly, I think there's a lot of work that could be done. But even more than that, it's the knitting together of Americans, having different kinds of people come together and do a thing that's hard, which to me was the greatest takeaway of military service, that, you know, people got in my vehicle, they were totally different than I was. Different politics, different generation, different race, different regions they were from. But, you know, we trusted each other with our lives. And at a moment when our national unity is under such strain and so many forces are amassing to kind of tear us apart, it's that much more important to thicken that social fabric. And I think national service is a great way to do it. You speak passionately about it. Would you make it a plank of your campaign? Yeah, we're, we're going to be talking about it more and more. It's one of those things that I think everybody's vaguely for, but nobody's really taken up and pushed to the point where it could happen. Yeah. And if you really dive into the numbers, I mean, the ROI, the re- return on every dollar spent on AmeriCorps oh, yeah. is tremendous. Well, I'm trying to imagine another political era in my lifetime where a chant of USA mm. was delivered as a kind of intimidation tactic. Yeah, And I, I contrast that with election night 2008 when mm. I was teaching at Yale 
and one of the quads broke out spontaneously mm-hmm. in the national anthem. <laughs> uh, a lot of students came to me afterwards and admitted that they didn't know the words. Wow. But they wanted to be part of that. Yeah. They wanted to celebrate what had just happened. And that chant of USA or that yeah. singing of the national anthem wasn't uh, a rebuke of anyone. No, that's right. I remember uh, I was in a group that was chanting USA that night. Yeah. And it was definitely not like, you know, hey, everybody, we stuck it to John McCain, USA. <laughs> it was everybody yeah. felt like America had made a decision to move forward. It was not against anyone. It was a sense of appreciation that our country, uh, that people felt good about themselves, maybe too good in retrospect. But What do you mean um, by that? Uh, well, that, of course, it was impossible to deliver on some yeah. of our hopes that night. But um, USA was something that was said with, with, with joy in a way that if somebody had voted the other way were there, you would have wanted to reach out and hug them and, mm-hmm. and you know, lift your arms up together. And it just doesn't feel that way now. It's, it's delegitimizing the idea that your opponent can even exist. And... We've got to do something about that because sometimes USA is the only thing we have in common. You were in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. When did you go? Uh, I was there briefly uh, there in Iraq as a civilian economic advisor just a few days at a time in 2009. But but my military tour there was in 2014. 2014. And we are still at it. Why is it so difficult to associate speaking out against thoughtless conflicts or the forever war in Afghanistan with a patriotic position? I mean that word specifically, patriotism, as the obligation to stand up against sending our friends into a a conflict that that hasn't been considered. Well, I think it's this cultural thing where patriotism came to mean militarism and militarism came to mean, you know, going out there and kicking people's ass. And it turns out that's not really doing any favors to the military, let alone being beneficial to the future of the country, let alone being the right thing to do. Restraint is often the better part of valor, but you can't find as many ways culturally to that. And it's one of many examples where I think culture kind of decides policy sometimes. And yet what is really patriotic is to put your country first and to put others first. And the same thing we value on the battlefield, the thing we prize most, which is when somebody risks or gives their life in order to save their fellow service members is an attitude we also ought to bring home to the idea of political courage. Hmm. That what could be more patriotic than to put yourself on the line on something that might seem apocalyptic but is a lot lower stakes? No one's going to die uh, if you uh, go down over a vote in Congress where you went to do the right thing. What is the greatest act of patriotism that you've ever witnessed? Honestly, it's tough to think of one that rivals those uh, those students, those kids just saying they're going to serve. Or every time I've been at a at a reenlistment or a, uh, or a commissioning, somebody says, all right, uh, I'm, doing it I'm up for this. And there's all kinds of reasons people do it. But at the end of the day, they're making this promise and taking this leap of faith with this country, that this country is going to make it so that they don't regret serving. That's an enormous act of faith in your fellow Americans. Patriotism cannot be owned by any particular side as some kind of political prize. And patriotism is not one thing. It certainly isn't just a flag pin on your lapel. Over the last four episodes, we've talked about patriotism as dissent, as reckoning, and as service. Love of country takes many forms, but it is essential to moving us forward. The hard work of reclaiming patriotism for all Americans begins with us. Thank you for joining in. This is a production of Crooked Media. Thank you to Jacob Zients and Chris Marvin for production assistance. Sean Cherry was our studio booker. Daniel Carissimi is our editor. Thank you to Jeff Gates and One Music Studio for engineering this week. Thank you for listening.
Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.